You turn with me now, please, to the 11th chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter 11. And before we consider the word of the Lord to our hearts, let us just seek the Lord's face in prayer. Our dear Lord, we gather again around thy precious and holy word. You know, Lord, that when we pray, we speak to thee. And yea, Lord, we expect that thou will hear us. But now, Lord, thou will speak to us. And we know, Lord, thou would expect us to hear thee. And so, Lord, grant us now the listening ear. Grant us the heart that's open and ready to receive the word. Dear Lord, grant to me, I pray, as always, the help and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that I might be enabled, Lord, to preach the word. And in preaching the word, we will always preach Christ. Speak well of him. Make much of his precious blood. In the Savior's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 11. And our text for today is the verse 3. Exodus 11 and verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. The battle was almost over. The conflict was near at an end. And a new day was about to dawn for the children of Israel. In his madness, foolishness, and hardness of heart, Pharaoh believed that he had the power and the might to withstand all that heaven's God had threatened Egypt and himself with. After all, he had survived the plagues. Plagues that were sent to persuade Egypt's king to let the children of Israel go, to release them from their cruel bondage. Plagues which showed Pharaoh that the one he fought against controlled the very elements, the fish in the sea, the creatures in the dust, the birds of the air. All were created and controlled by him. 
For the message to Pharaoh was there in Exodus 8 verse 22. To the end thou mayest know. That I am the Lord. In the midst of the earth. As far as Pharaoh was concerned. The only thing the plagues produced in him. Were his pleas. Or his petitions. That is. He pleaded for help. Whenever the plagues came upon Egypt. When Pharaoh felt the pain of the plagues. He sent for Moses and Aaron. Pleading with them. To pray for him. To remove all of the plagues. And with the pleas of Pharaoh came his promises. His promises to let Israel go if only the plagues were removed. Promises, of course, that were broken when the plagues were removed. Four times he pleaded with Moses. To entreat the Lord your God that he may take away the frogs from me. Then the flies. Then the thunderings and hail. Then the locusts. And with every plea a promise. And with every promise a broken promise when the plague was removed. And Pharaoh had in Moses a man who did plead for him. Because with the, plea, with the plagues there came the pleas. And then he went to Moses to pray for him. And Moses did pray. There were the prayers. And surely this was a wonder of grace and mercy on the part of Moses, that he would pray for his adversary. You can look up the references. Exodus 8, verse 8. Exodus 8, verse 28. Exodus 9, verse 28. Exodus 10, verse 17. Those four references, there you have Moses Praying. Who for? For Pharaoh. That God would remove the plague. No. The Lord didn't ask Moses to pray. The Lord didn't command Moses to pray. But he prayed anyway. That's the kind of man that Moses was. He prayed anyway. Isn't it good? Yeah, doesn't it demonstrate the spiritual character of this man, Moses? Whenever Moses referred to in the scriptures, he is referred to as Moses, the man of God. Not Moses, a man of God. He's Moses, the man of God, which indicates he stands head and shoulders above many others. He's the man of God. 
And you can see why he's called the man of God. Whenever he took upon himself to pray for a wicked king like Pharaoh. He prayed for him anyway. Because that's what the Lord tells us to do, isn't it? Love your enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. That's what Moses did. So nine plagues have descended upon Egypt. And still Pharaoh holds out against Jehovah. But while God has been very patient with a stubborn king, he will enjoy that patience no longer. Instead, the time has come for God to bring Israel out of Egypt and he would do so in spite of Pharaoh. What I want to do first of all is to consider the preparing for the move. Here we find Israel making preparation to move, to leave Egypt and to go towards the land of promise. It was time for Israel to make preparation. Notice first of all regarding this preparation, the word. Verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt and afterwards he will let you go hence when he shall let you go he shall surely thrust you out he'll thrust you out all of you he'll not be able to get rid of you quick enough when I bring this last judgment upon him just one plague more the Lord said, and Pharaoh will let you go. In fact, the Lord said, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. No, this was not an empty promise. This was the word of the Lord. And like all the promises that Moses heard from Pharaoh, that were all broken, God never breaks a promise. When God said that Pharaoh will let the children of Israel go, when God said Pharaoh will thrust you out, Moses could depend on that promise. He could stand on that promise, knowing that promise would not fail. As the psalmist has said, Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. So for Israel, the long wait was almost over. Israel would soon leave Egypt and go towards the land that had promised to them in the days of Abraham. So then, according to the word of the Lord, Israel was to get ready to move. You know, there's a very valuable lesson here. Here is a promise that the Lord made to Abraham. 
430 years before. 430 years. Israel had to wait 430 years for that promise to be fulfilled. But listen. If God has given you a promise, God will fulfill that promise no matter how long you have to wait. He always keeps his word. And so we should always be ready for the Lord to fulfill that promise. We should always be ready. We should always be waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promise. What do we read in Habakkuk 2 and verse 3? For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. Wait for it. Though it tarry, the vision is yet for an appointed time time. You see God works to his own plan and purpose, not ours. And there was an appointed time for Israel to leave the bondage of Egypt and go towards the land of promise. That time had now come. What did Habakkuk say? The vision is yet for an appointed time. The Lord has his own timetable. He works to it. What we need to do is wait for it and be ready when God fulfills his promise. As well as the word, we notice here also the wealth. In preparing to leave Egypt, the Lord gave an order to Moses there in verse 2. Speak now in the ears of the people. And let every man borrow of his neighbor, and every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. There's the wealth. Now that word, borrow, some have complained and said, this is very unfair. Here was Israel... And the Lord commanded them to borrow from the Egyptians, knowing they would never be back again. To return what they had borrowed. You know what it's like? You lend someone a book. They say, can I borrow that book? And you never see it again. Well, here the Lord told the children of Israel they were to borrow from the Egyptians. Ah, but... The word borrow is a word that means to ask. And so there was nothing unjust about the children of Israel asking the Egyptians for silver and gold. They were asking and the Egyptians gave to the children of Israel willingly because they had asked. And here we have the children of Israel and they're going out of Egypt. They're not going out empty handed. You turn to 
Genesis chapter 15. <coughs> there in Genesis 15, we read in verse 14, And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward that shall they come out with great substance. Here's a promise made in the days of Abraham. And the Lord is saying that the children of Israel would come out of Egypt with great substance. They weren't going to come out of Egypt empty-handed. And when receiving from the Egyptians, the children of Israel would come out with great substance. What does this show us? This shows us that the Lord's people will never lose out by following the commandments of the Lord, by obeying the directions of the Lord, by obeying his word. God's people will never lose out. Because here you have the children of Israel and they were given a word that they were to make preparation to leave Egypt and go towards the land of promise. And the Lord says, you'll not go out empty-handed. You obey the Lord. You obey the Lord. You'll not go out empty-handed. The Lord will take care of you. If you obey his commands. Children of Israel went out, we're told, with great substance. Look again in Genesis, this time, chapter 12, and the opening few verses. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said, had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Notice the number of times you have the word blessed. The Lord told Abraham, get out. Abraham didn't know where he was going. No, he didn't go and scout out the land first. The Lord said, I want you to go. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And Abraham went. He obeyed the word of the Lord. And the Lord said, I'll bless you. And he blessed him and blessed him and blessed him and blessed him again. And you go down the chapter, or sorry, chapter 13. And now you see how the Lord blessed Abraham. Chapter 13, Genesis. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him unto the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold there's the blessing of the Lord you'll never lose out when you obey God hallelujah you'll never lose out when you obey God's word 
as well as the word and the wealth you also have the work that is the work of the Lord look at verse 3 of Exodus there we read in, in verse 3 of our chapter 11 and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians the Lord gave the people gave Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians that was the work of God it was because of the Israelites that all the plagues came upon Egypt and yet what do we find we find here that the Lord gave the people gave the children of Israel favor with the Egyptians you'd almost think that's impossible how could that take place after all that Egypt had been through because Pharaoh wouldn't let the children of Israel go yet the Lord gave the children of Israel favor with the Egyptians that's the work of the Lord that's what the Lord promised Moses when he appeared at, with them or to him at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and there we read in verse 21 and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and it shall come to pass that when ye go out ye shall not go out empty that's the work of God I'll give Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians so the Lord did a work in the hearts of the Egyptians and as Israel was favored in their sight here we see how Jehovah manifested his absolute authority moving upon the hearts of the Egyptians which caused them to regard his chosen people with favor that's God at work over to Genesis Genesis 39 we have another example of God giving his people favor in the eyes of the enemy Genesis 39 verse 1 and Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh captain of the guard an Egyptian brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down thither and the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of the master the Egyptian and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand and Joseph found grace or favor in the sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand and there's Joseph he's in the camp of the enemy but lo and behold he gains favor with his enemy that's the work of God 
You go on down to Genesis 39 and verse 21. In verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God favored Joseph and gave him favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. Again, that's the work of God. And so it was with Daniel. We read in Daniel 1 and verse 9, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Not only did he bring him into favor, but also in tender love. The prince of the eunuchs loved Daniel, even though where was he was in Babylon. That's the work of God. Remember Jeremiah when he was afraid to go out and do the bidding of the Lord and preach the word? What did the Lord tell Jeremiah? He said, Be not afraid. Of their faces, for I am with thee. Just as the Lord was with the children of Israel, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Daniel, so the Lord would be with Jeremiah and give him favor. We have a great God. We need not fear the face of man while we have a God in heaven. We press on and we have considered the preparing to move. Then I want us to look at the prominence of Moses. The prominence of Moses. We go back again to that verse 3 of the chapter 11. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. There's his prominence. He was it's described here as being very great. Regarding the prominence of Moses, we notice first of all his stature. We're given his stature. He was very great. There's his stature. Now surely it had nothing to do with his physical stature. Nothing to do with his political stature. Nothing to do with whatever possessions he had. So what are we left with? It had to do with the spiritual stature. Moses was very great. We see then that Moses was very great with regard to his spiritual stature. First of all, he was a great man. Look carefully at the words. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, Moses was very great. Now it doesn't say that. Moreover, the man, Moses, was very great. The man. 
Moses was a man. That's all he was. Was it Spurgeon who said, the best of men are only men at best. And here we read, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. He was just a man, but he was what God had made him, and God had made him great. Remember what we read in James about Elijah? In James 5, verse 17, Elias was a man, subject to like passions as we are. You might be interested to know that word passions is the word homeopathy. We hear a lot about homeopathy today. That's what that word means. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly. In other words, Elijah was a great man but he was still a man. He wasn't a superman, he was a man. He was what God had made him. And Moses was great. He was just a man. So Moses was a great man. Moses was a godly man. Moses was not only God's man, but Moses was a man of God. He was God's man in Egypt, and he was a man of God. Man of God. That's some testimony. Be a man of God. Have you met individuals? And that's the way you've described them. Whatever else they are in life. You've been in the company of individuals and say, that man's a man of God. That man knows his God. That man surely knows the Lord. What was it that set Elijah apart? What was it said Elijah apart as a man subject to like passions as we are? But what set him apart? He was a man of prayer. He was a man of God. He knew how to pray. He had power in prayer. He had such power in prayer he could shut up the heavens. He had such power in prayer he could see the heavens open. That's what set him apart. That's what made him a man of God. And that's what made Moses a man of God. He was recognized as a godly man. He was recognized as a man of God because he was a man of prayer. We've already pointed out he prayed for Pharaoh. He wasn't asked to pray by the Lord. He wasn't told to pray. He wasn't commanded to pray. But Moses prayed anyway. He prayed anyway. He was, as it were, compelled to pray. Have you ever been in that position? We are compelled to pray. I must pray. That's what Moses 
was you had to pray I don't know if I've told you this before but you've all heard of W.P. Nicholson sure he's been mentioned here a number of times especially Ulster preacher W.P. Nicholson William Patterson Nicholson was a mighty man remember when I visited my grandfather he used to tell me about going to Nicholson's meetings he preached in Belfast in the Ulster Hall in Belfast in the shipyard workers when they got out of work they would head straight to the Ulster Hall and their overalls and their dungarees and their black faces and their oil and their hands and they went to sit under Nicholson's preaching there's a breath of revival in the days of Nicholson Nicholson was called upon to preach at a mission And the family put him up while he was there in the area. Stayed with this family. And the night before, he told the lady of the house, when you bring my breakfast, just set it outside the door, bedroom door. The next morning, that's what she did. She went back again at lunchtime and the breakfast was still sitting outside the door. Back about summer time, the breakfast was still sitting outside the door. Nicholson had been in prayer all day. When he eventually came out, he was ready to go to the meeting, went off to the meeting. And that evening, the lady of the house went into his bedroom to tidy up the room and make the bed. And she couldn't understand it. But all the sheets, the sheets on the bed were all torn to shreds. What had happened? Nicholson had agonized in prayer all day. And in his agony over souls, he was tearing the sheets of the bed. He didn't even know he was doing it. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of God. He was God's man in Ulster at that time. Moses was a man of prayer. That's what set him apart always in touch with heaven we of course know what the Lord said about Moses in Numbers 12 and verse 3 now the man there's it again the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth he was meek like the Lord meek and lowly of heart Notice his stature. But notice his surroundings. 
We're told there the man Moses was very great where? In the land of Egypt. There's his surroundings. Moses was very great. Moses was spiritually great in the land of Egypt. Regarding his surroundings, there you have the place. He was very great even though he lived in an ungodly environment. Surrounded by idol worshippers and a people who knew not God. Yet Moses was spiritually very great in spite of where he was in Egypt. An ungodly place. He remained faithful to the Lord in spite of his surroundings. He was still a man of God. He was still a godly man in spite of his surroundings. Wasn't influenced by what was going on around him. Just like Daniel. Over in Daniel, the chapter 1, when he and the others were taken into captivity, we read in verse 4, Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, children who were chosen, these young men were chosen, chosen children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all the wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding, science, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach, mark that, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. The intention of those who were over Daniel and his friends was to teach them the way of the Chaldeans. After all, they were there in the middle of the Chaldeans. They were there in the middle of the Babylonians. They were there in the middle of the ungodly. And that's what they wanted to do, to teach them their ways. It was something. Any Christian who lives with the world any Christian who lives for the world that Christian will soon become like the world it's unavoidable but Daniel was not having any of it Daniel was a man of God. Do you know something? There's Daniel and Joseph. Only two men in the scriptures you don't read about their sin. Oh, they were sinners, all right. But there's no mention made of Daniel or Joseph in the sin in their lives. That sets them apart, doesn't it, as men of God. But look again at Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart, 
That's where it's. That's where it is. That's where it begins in the heart. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He took a stand. No, he wasn't going to be influenced by the Chaldeans. He wasn't going to take the king's meat. He wasn't going to be influenced in any way. Daniel was going to be a separatist. He was going to be a separatist. Go down to Daniel 1 to verse 19. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. See, the Lord honored them. Don't like them. Because they took a stand for the Lord in the place where they were among the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the idol worshippers. They took a stand for God. Believer, let's pray that God will help us to take our stand for God in this day of terrible terrible sin and wickedness may the Lord give us grace to stand for God to live for God to maintain a faithful witness and testimony even though we are surrounded by the ungodly is this vile world a friend to grace to help beyond to God of course it's not Not at all, but by God's grace, you and I can live above the world and not be tainted by what goes on surrounding us. Regarding his surroundings, we've noted the place. Place was the land of Egypt. Regarding his surroundings, then we notice the people. Look at that verse 3 again. And the Lord gave people, the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of his people. Twice. We have the word in the sight. In the sight of the people. This has reference to what the people saw when they looked at Moses. This is what they saw. When the people looked at Moses, what did they see? They saw a man of God. That's what they saw. They saw a man of prayer. They saw a man who was in touch with heaven. That's what they saw in the sight of the people. The ungodly will have absolutely no respect, no respect for that professing Christian who does not take a stand for the Lord but tries, as it were, to fit in with the crowd 
be part of the crowd that have no respect whatsoever. But they will have respect for that man or that woman who takes their stand for the Lord and makes it known, I am a child of God. And that run with you to the bars and the pubs and the clubs. And not interested in using your language and telling your filthy jokes. I'm a Christian. What do you think of me? I don't care. But I'm going to stand for God. Moses stood for God. Isn't isn't that amazing, the words of verse 3? In the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. That's what they saw. A people who knew not God. A people who worshipped idols. Yet when they looked at Moses, what did they say? They saw a great man. Yeah, they saw a great man of God who let his light shine where he was. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. We have his stature. He is a great man. We have his surroundings. He was in Egypt. We have also his separation. Separation. You don't see it here. So much as in Joshua. In Joshua chapter 14, or sorry, Joshua 24 and verse 14. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Listen, listen. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. In other words Joshua is making reference. To the children of Israel. When they were in Egypt. Some of them served other gods. That's what he says. Put away those gods. That your father served before the flood. And in Egypt. And so the children of Israel had served false gods while they were in Egypt. Ah, but not Moses. Moses lived a separated life. Moses didn't worship idols. Moses Moses worshipped the Lord God Jehovah in Egypt amongst the ungodly. He stood up He stood up for Jesus as a soldier of the cross. 
I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause, maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. No, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. As far as Moses was concerned, his God wasn't in some man-made God or man-made idol. His God was the Lord Jehovah. And listen, the people in the land recognized that. The man Moses was great. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt without bowing down to one false God. He was very great. He was a separatist. Not what Paul calls for us to be. Separatists. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Speak out against them. Paul was a separatist. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel. That's it. That's what it's all about. Separated unto the gospel of God. Time is gone. I'll just press on quickly. We have the preparing to move. You have the prominence of Moses. And then you have the protection of the multitude. The multitude. It is estimated two million Israelites exited Exodus or exited Egypt. Caused quite a stir. And yet what do we read in verse 7? But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast. Regarding the protection of the multitude, you have first of all then the dogs. Not a dog will bark against an Israelite that night. Now you think of it. You think of the commotion and the stir of people moving and the weeping and the wailing of the Israelites as they mourn over their death of their firstborn and the cry. And yet, the Lord says, not one dog will move its tongue against my people. Across the road from where we live, there's a fence garden. Behind the fence, there's a dog. And it doesn't matter when someone is out walking down the street with their dog. This other hound on the other side of the fence will bark and bark and bark and bark until they pass out of sight. That's just one dog. There would have been many dogs in Egypt and not one who moved a tongue against an Israelite. Not one bark was heard. Isn't that powerful? 
just like Daniel again in Babylon cast in to the den of lions and God just shut the lion's mouth closed their jaws and the lions could not harm him there's the dogs there's the difference what did the Lord say in verse 7 but against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel a difference there's a difference between the children of Israel and the Israelites and you notice something the difference was the work of God that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference. I tell you something. If as professing Christians, there's no difference between us and the world, and God has not done a work in us. Simple as that. If there's no difference between a professing believer and the world, then the Lord has not done a work in that person's life who professes to be a believer. There's no work has been done. There needs to be a difference. Not a difference for difference sake, but a difference because God has put a difference there. Not take time, but you can read Colossians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 12. And there Paul speaks about putting off the old man and putting on the new. See, there's a difference. And what the old man and the old nature did and how the old nature behaved and then he goes on to say put on the new man and how the new man and the new nature behaves. There's a difference. Must be. If there's no difference then there's no, no work has been done in the heart we'll have a different outlook in life we'll be going on and upward toward a different home we'll have a different song with a new song we'll use a different language we'll have a different life Back to the old world, I will not go, for I have had a glimpse of Jesus. Let's be like Moses, better still. Let's be like the God of Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> oh dear Lord, we know these are important, solemn matters to deal with. Important business, because it has to do with the soul. Important because it has to do with our witness and our testimony. 
before God and before men. Oh Lord. Give us that testimony that Moses had. In Egypt, amongst the ungodly, they still recognized him as a great man of God. Lord, what the people saw in Moses, may they see in us. Write thy word upon our hearts. May we meditate upon it and think about it. And pray even as we sang, more love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Be with us, Lord, now throughout this day. Grant us each one travelling mercy as we make our way home and Bring us back again this evening to learn more about the Lord and about ourselves. Thou may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our abiding portion now. Amen. <laughs>